0: Hi, I'm Vanessa Anderson. And I'm Stephanie Cooley. It's time to give ourselves a moment to be real, to express all of motherhood. Mothering is beautiful. It's wonderful. And you know what?
1: It's fucked up too. Come hang out with us. We're the Real Motherfuckers. Hello, Dee. <laughs> hello, well, hello.
2: The real
1: motherfuckers. This is, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Vanessa. And today we have Diana Bamford. And Dee is, I know her, we both know her from, um, I've taken her yoga class and she's a wonderful yoga teacher. And she does multiple things helping the female community. And um, she's here to talk about maternal mental health. And um, before we get started, we also wanted to say Oh. Dee is also a pussycat lover. She has uh, our Pussycat Cups. She's one of our winners, our winner for our Pussycat Cup giveaway. <laughs> we love your support, Dee.
2: I yes, love you guys. Do. And this is a fantastic cup. I love it. It's my new favorite. <laughs> love it.
1: So Dee, can you tell us who you are? I know you do a lot of a lot of things in the community, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about all the things that you do.
2: Yes, uh, so I'm a maternal mental health advocate here in San Diego. I'm a member with the Postpartum Health Alliance and a volunteer with them and I'm on the board with uh, Tribe Wellness Collective uh, here in San Diego. Um, I basically dedicate my life to bring awareness around perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more about that, uh, which is the new name given to postpartum depression. So not all women, we know that they experience postpartum depression. They actually, there's all these other Uh, mood disorders that are associated uh, like anxiety, OCD, bipolar disorder, PTSD, and in some cases, psychosis. So I now what I do a lot is I try to bring knowledge and awareness to the public. So educate providers and people that work firsthand with mothers, with birthing parents and with their family members as well, because a lot of the times women are not, you know, when we have a baby, our minds are everywhere else. Don't let your projects on or near the tracks derail. Let on track
0: solutions navigate the railroad aspects of your project with confidence and results. Keep it on track with on track solutions. We like to think the real motherfuckers
1: podcast is like a train headed for destination to growth. With our sponsor, on track solutions, we are headed there. So, D. When we had chatted previously, I know you had some personal experience with this, um, and I'm assuming this is how you got into this community and helping this community. Can you tell us about your your own personal journey with us?
2: Absolutely. So I have two, I have three children. Uh, two I birthed, one is, uh, my my adopted uh, child, child. It's uh, my son, my husband's uh, daughter from his previous marriage. But to me, she's mine, my, my daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. And I actually, my journey began back in two thousand two. I had first a miscarriage. That was I was really young. Uh, I was like 21 at the time, and I had a miscarriage that was very dismissed. You know, I was young, and it just, you know, you're going to have more children. But I was actually grieving uh, the loss of a baby. And now realizing that due to that experience, it just, because I never really healed it, it actually kind of snowballed because we I didn't process it. It was like, okay, even though everybody's not making a big deal of it, not that they needed to make a big deal, but just the acknowledgement that I have had a loss rather than telling me you know cheerleader go forward so um, after that miscarriage i um i got pregnant again uh then with my son who was born in 2003 i was um navy wife for five years uh at the moment my husband at the time was deployed so i went through the entire pregnancy alone i don't know what it is to have you know your partner sing to the baby or touch your belly or go to appointments And, um, he, I was really big towards the end. I had a beautiful pregnancy. It was like, he was born in September. So I had all this summer, you know, I was craving watermelon all the time, like all the summer fruits and (laughs) things like that. And that's all the fun cravings for, from, from a new mother. And, uh, When it was getting closer to the time i'm hispanic and he was already 40 weeks in the belly and it began the conversation right like d you're already 40 weeks what if you know you lose the baby you have a stillborn due to you know the time is passing and we know that is not necessarily true we can have babies up to like 44 weeks but i did not know any of that so the fear was just consuming me Uh, at 41 weeks and five days, my son was born. Uh, he was born on a Monday, the Friday before I met with my midwife. I actually had a midwife in the hospital that I like took care of me the entire time. And she said, I was just desperate. I had given an eviction notice to my baby. I needed him out. I was hot. I was done. I just wanted this little turkey out of me. And I was really big. So I, I had something, uh, that was, they call it like a water twin so i had two placentas in two bags but one never developed into a twin but and then i had another big placenta and my midwife that friday said you know what Dee? you're just really big because of the water you know the other bag that is making room in there and the other placenta and baby it's a little squish in there but he's about maybe seven pounds you're just really big because he you know all the extra all the extra things in there so uh she told me i was miserable and she said hey you know what if you do not give birth to him over the weekend i'll induce you on tuesday and i think that relaxed my body and now i had a goal right and yeah. on monday on monday i had it my water broke uh sunday night monday i had this this beautiful baby however this beautiful baby weighed nine pounds 13 ounces mm-hmm. so yeah he was Holy a really big he was a really big baby and uh yeah, too much he water. was <laughs> too much watermelon absolutely absolutely and um so with him and nobody talked to me this is one of the big points of why i do maternal mental health because no one really talked to me about what even postpartum depression was one of the mm, things yeah. is that during his birth his birth was quite traumatic uh he was um he had to pull be pulled out with the forceps they gave me an episiotomy and it teared and it gave me a third degree tear third degree tear oh. goes from yeah. your parent from the vagina all the way to your rectum and there's something yeah. even worse that is a four degree tear i think heaven that i did not quite get that but the third degree tear was is pretty pretty severe so yeah. with all that happening i lost a lot of blood and uh, with that experience i I realized that uh, a lot of things were also coming into mind. You know, a lot of other fears were kind of popping in, but the traumatic birth that I had at the hospital was one of the reasons that I developed postpartum anxiety. Me personally, I'm a PMAT survivor from postpartum anxiety, depression, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, PTSD, And the obsessive compulsive disorder is what uh, almost snowballed into a psychosis. And I'll share more of that also. Um, But when I was in the hospital with my first son, um, I lost a lot of blood and I didn't want to have a blood transfusion. And they were pushing me to get a blood transfusion. And I was just like, no, I don't want it uh, due to a previous experience from a friend receiving a blood transfusion and it was infected and he passed. And I was just terrified of blood, uh, receiving blood in any moment. Um, so they told me if you can pee and you can shower, then no blood and you can go home. And I was like, awesome. I have a goal, pee and shower. So the next day I'm all like, okay, I just, I need to pee and I need to shower. So I peed, I'm like celebrating and then I get in the shower and I passed out and I almost had a stroke. So now the blood was not an option. I needed to have a blood transfusion as soon as I did the blood transfusion felt so much better. And with that, uh, you know, it was a very traumatic event with the baby being pulled from the forceps. I was, when I was pushing, I pushed for about three and a half hours. He was just not coming out. The staff was not the best staff. Everything is just like, get the baby out. It was like a lot of stress. Like it felt like my baby came into this world with a lot of stress around him. And, uh, after that, I had uh, began to feel really sad. I began to feel uh, like I didn't wanna be away from the baby. I was scared and I began to develop intrusive thoughts. And then I began to develop uh, suicidal thoughts that range from my mild um, to, you know, to severe. And at the time, I was a Navy wife for five years, as I mentioned, so we were, he was stationed here in San Diego, but we had a house in Mexico. So we're like, well, it kind of makes sense to not pay any more rent here, move to Mexico and just, you know, he's like, I'll come back and forth but I was left alone with the baby all day. And I began to say with my thoughts, right? It just kind of continued to just have those thoughts of worried thoughts of like something happening to the baby and I began to cry a lot. Um, I didn't have a lot of people visiting me at all. I had my... Mother who lived in San Diego, and you know when when you have a baby, everyone goes and visits you, right? Right away, everybody's like, "Baby's born, they want to see you," and then everybody disappears, <laughs> and then you're like, yes, "Wow, okay, it's lonely." Yes, it, it's lonely to it, be mm-hmm. alone.
1: It's like after all of the circus is over, there's the stillness,
2: and the stillness is. is
1: happening sometimes
2: it is it is so i begin to notice that i was alone with the baby all day and i began to have the intrusive thoughts became an intrusive voice so it got stronger and stronger and i'm gonna pause here just for a second for everyone listening um it is a it can be triggering so i would say feel free to pause it um, because some things that i may share may be triggering and i just want to give that little bit of a disclosure Uh, So, uh, I began to have these thoughts of, you know, just push the baby, just kick it, just like very mild, but I began to hear these voices. And first it was like, why am I thinking that, you know, it's crazy, I'm not going to say it. And I never mentioned it to anybody. And it began to evolve. And then it was a little bit stronger. And then I began to pick up objects, you know, it's just like, stab the baby. and. You know, I'm picking up this object. It's like dropping it because I knew I didn't want to. I was just terrified of having these thoughts. And I stayed quiet because I was so ashamed. I was hearing that I was this voice would talk to me and tell me I was a horrible mother, you know, to just take something and end it there because my baby will be better without me. Like they began to evolve. And I still said nothing because I felt so much shame, so much guilt. And then I was scared that they would take my baby away because I'm crazy. Because what type of mother will have these types of thoughts? So I had, my husband came home every night and I still, like normal, you know, bathed the baby, all the things, I acted normal. The appearances of I am fine. Until one day I had a very severe experience where I was alone with the baby and I was cooking spaghetti and I had the boiling water and I had, this time it was this strong, strong feeling to pick up the water and toss it at my baby who was in the stroller next to me. And that was just like my breaking point. I was like oh, the world stopped and I became really, really slow. I began to like turn off the stove, grab the baby, push him into the other room, close the door, and I cried. And then I went back to making spaghetti. Like that was that. My husband came home and I still said nothing nothing, even though I was terrified, but that night he, I couldn't stop crying. This was the only different from all the other nights that that night I could not stop crying at all. And he kept asking me, you know, what's going on, what's going on until this day. I thank him for pressing that heavy on me until I finally told him the next day. He's like, we're going back to San Diego. We're going back to the doctor. We need to figure something out. Went back to San Diego, And I thank him because I may not be here if I don't know what would have happened the next, the following day. So I went back to, we went back to San Diego straight to the Naval hospital and I, we actually saw my midwife. Like I thank him a lot that we did not go to the ER um, and we went to see my midwife. And she mentioned she's suffering from postpartum depression. That was my initial diagnosis by them seeing me and some of the symptoms also because I did not, give too much information on what I was experiencing. I did mention something of the auditory hallucinations I was having, but I didn't want to give too much. Like I didn't mention right. anything about picking up objects because I was scared that they're going to take my baby. And that's usually what happens. So they put me immediately in antipsychotics and antidepressants, um, scheduled me with psychologists, psychiatrists, and I began to get help. But no one talked to me about what even postpartum depression was. Right. Like they didn't talk to me at the hospital. I did not leave with a pamphlet, like nothing at any point. It was very stigmatized and still is, but it was very stigmatized in my family. You just, you know, you have a baby, you figure it out. My grandma had nine kids and like three miscarriages and she went on and and, you know, that was the way of life. That's the way mothers are. That's the way what you do and it it was very challenging because it was not inviting it was not an invited conversation that we could have and be like hey what is really going on and so i never felt safe to speak with anyone of what i was feeling so my therapist i raved she was she was amazing and um with her is how I was able to begin to get better with postpartum support groups, uh, with medication. I I'm not a big person on suggesting medication, but it can save your life. It doesn't have to be long term. I'm no longer on medication, uh, and but it can really save it can really save save lives. So that was like one of the big parts, and then it snowballed. So they usually say the old saying about postpartum depression. I was ultimately diagnosed as a postpartum depression, anxiety, OCD, and PTSD. That was like my full-on you, clinical diagnosis.
0: Can I pause you for a second? Did, did were you diagnosed with anything before this? You know, did you feel like you had anxieties or depressions or any of those other symptoms before having this baby that maybe the baby kind no. of triggered all, or this
2: was just all new? all all new what i do think like not as a teen i don't remember i was super and you know interactive and things like that very active teen which is usually where you will see more of like the anxiety or the depression around those mm-hmm. teen years i never experienced anything like that but what i do think it was my unresolved i began to get a little bit of anxiety after my miscarriage mm-hmm. so that was triggering for me but I never took care of it. I never took medication for it. I didn't even see a therapist. I I didn't even talk to anybody about it. So I right. think that's where everything started mainly. Mm-hmm. And unresolved a grief over an abortion or a miscarriage or a medical termination, uh, if it's not taken care of, it, it always needs to be processed. Yes. So Absolutely. the first part was, thing. mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that was like one of the first parts. And then uh, what happened? So it was one year. My son literally turned one year. We're at his little birthday party. And my my husband comes to me and says, I don't want to be married anymore. I I don't want to be married. I wasn't working that entire year because I was going through all the postpartum. And he's like, I don't want to be married anymore. Um, I don't want to be dad. Don't want to be a husband. Uh, we had one apartment that was under his name and one car that was under his name. And he's like, I'm going to let the car get repo and the apartment to get us evicted. So, because I'm going to go live on the ship. So peace, you know, figure out a way. So, so I went into immediate, like, I'm barely kind of seeing the light of my postpartum journey, like towards the end. And suddenly it was like, okay, survival mode, like I have to get a car, get a place to live, get a job. And I'm I'm somebody uh, that is not too proud. I was like, I'll go flip burgers at this point, right? I just need to make money to provide for my, my son. So, uh, yep, he let everything get evicted. I found myself into an apartment. My uncle let me borrow a car. Then a friend let me borrow a car. In the meantime, I, I could save some more money to buy a car, got myself a job, and then he started to kind of to come around again, right? Kind of like, okay, things we may be able to work out. In that period, I got pregnant again. So got pregnant again with my youngest, and as soon as I told him, he's like, "Oh no, we're we're not good." It's like, you "No, know, go have an abortion if you like. I'm gone." So I was like, okay, finally this, this that was my rock bottom, right? Because I still like loved him and I wanted to build something. And we are all thought that it's mom and dad and the happy family. So I was like, okay, finally got it. Not you. And I'm like, okay, again, here I go into my survival. I'm doing this alone. Not only have I had alone pregnancies all along, I have to, you know, do mother alone for like so long so uh, my son uh he was c-section because what happened with my first one the doctor said you were too narrow to your vaginal canal was so narrow that you could not birth uh, a big baby you can not birth a baby vaginally which i actually now knowing what i know it's actually a lie because only about one percent of women cannot birth vaginally due to the structure their bone structure and clearly he came out and did not break the bone he tear me but the tear was more from the forceps force than my actual baby if it was done in proper timing so uh, i didn't know that back then so i'm like okay well c-section the other one makes sense for me because the first one tore me open and so I went, you know, went and had a C-section with my second son, but I already had this experience with the the you know the depression, the anxiety. I was still trying to heal that. I wasn't fully out. I was medicated the entire pregnancy. Uh, but with him, I didn't have any of the OCD or the hallucinations. So the only reason why I was not diagnosed as a psychosis case is because my symptoms were not severe enough. Even though I was picking up objects, I was almost acting out on things. It wasn't enough for the medical to diagnose me. And and it is hard for women to be diagnosed as psychosis because some uh, people that I have conversations, some clinicians say that it is a liability unless you're on them with them completely, uh, right medication and changing medications and making sure you just don't know what, how, what they could do. And um, is- so that's where... Eight what's the benefit of being diagnosed with psychosis with the psychosis? Is it the type of care that you get? Yes. So it's, I, I don't know if I would use the word like the benefit, you know, it's like yeah, you, nobody true. wants to be diagnosed with psychosis, different. but it's important. Yes. Maybe so
0: I'm thinking, to say you, help, you know, Yeah. Yes. you actually help if you have that symptom versus having, you know, not yes.
2: that symptom. Yes, so the the thing I think when they actually somebody says that, that person is sexual psychosis, they're gonna pay more attention They're gonna ask extra questions and they're gonna make sure that they have the right medication. So uh, Psychosis cases often get misdiagnosed as unipolar disorder same as bipolar disorder well, unipolar disorder means that they're severely depressed but They All they tell mothers, and we've seen it, and we've seen it recently, where mothers have taken their own lives and the lives of their children, even though despite they went to hospitals, to the ER three or five times, and the doctor's continuous answer was, she just needs to go home and get some rest. She just needs to sleep. She just needs to be around friends and family. And then the tragedies occur. And it's just lack of awareness, lack of knowledge of like, no, you can't, yes, she needs to sleep, but maybe she needs to you know, be medicated under hospital guidelines while somebody's taking care of her baby at home, or maybe you can have a home nurse or something else can be done. But a lot of this is being ignored. And women are scared to go to the hospital and say, I am struggling. Because one, they're going to be turned away. Two, they may be locked up. And that's what happened to me. One time I went to the ER when my, with my first son when I was having those thoughts. My, I had a therapist. I was on track. I had my therapist. I had my support groups. I was taking all my medication. And my therapist said, D, if you ever run out of medication, please call me and I can put in an order for you or go to the ER. And it was like during the week. And I had run out of medication because my brain was... Everywhere else, except you're about to run out of medication, and I ran out of medication. My baby was with my mom. My husband at the time was at uh, like a one day trip in in the boat, so he wasn't home. And I told my mom, "Man, I ran out of medication. I'm going to go to the ER and get medication." I did not want to call my therapist because it was late and I didn't want to bother her. So I was like, "She said I could go to the ER." I go to the naval hospital go to the er waited for a few hours finally they take me back i tell them what's going on i am honest as much as honest as i can be and there was this one doctor who decided that i was a threat for my baby and she they locked me up so they took me you know took all my possessions away and when i knew first what it was really disturbing it was that they're talking to me like they understand what i'm why i'm there and just trying to get medication and get better and then i noticed that they were just saying things like that but they were already setting up the plan of like we need she's a threat and we need to lock her up and when i noticed wow. that i became that crazy person because i'm noticing that they're about to take all my stuff away and they're about to take me out i can't go back home for my baby and they're going to lock me up and so when the doctor came and she was just very like, you need to go to a ward and you need to do something, I started to act like the crazy person. I'm trying to run, I'm trying to you know, push crap away from me. And what did they become? The crazy person that she was making up to be. So, but I was just so scared. Uh, thankfully, I was only in a 24 hour hold. Um, I don't know how or who, but somebody contacted my therapist and she called the next day And told them that I was no threat, that I was seeing somebody, that I was medicated, like all the things. But that night I couldn't sleep. All night I did not sleep. I couldn't stop crying. And there was one really sweet nurse who said, I know you're not crazy. And that just gave me so much peace because I I felt seen by her. But I couldn't stop crying. She's like, I just need you to stop crying. And I'm like, how can I stop crying when I'm hearing people screaming? When I'm hearing, I'm in a ward where I know I'm not, I'm not supposed to be there. And it was just, it regressed me tremendously. So all the work that I have done just kind of took me back. It took me deeper into my depression. Uh, It triggered me tremendously. My PTSD just became much more. I didn't want to go to hospitals. I just, any medical professional that I saw was just like, oh my gosh, no. Um, It was really, really challenging. And because of all that, I was about, it was like 2017, I began to ask, what is being done in San Diego? So I begin to just pick up the phone and call hospitals. Just call hospitals. And I would say, hello, I'm just wondering, do you have a postpartum group? No, next, no, next. And I found out at that time that Mary Birch has a great one, and that's the one I took almost 20 years ago. Uh, now also uh, Sharp and Grossman has one, and UCSD has one. Uh, those are the only ones that I know in San Diego. There may be others out there. I would love to know where they are. Uh, but I knew the lack and then the lack of information because that woman that said, "You, we're going to lock you up. Like, you're a threat. That person, she just was not educated in the, in the subject. Right. She had no idea. For years, ladies, let me tell you, I was so angry at her. Angry. I was like... If I ever see her on the street, I'm just going to launch on her. She wants to see crazy. I'm going to show her crazy because what she did to me, absolutely not. And, um, and I was talking earlier today to some nursing students from Cal State and, you know, what will you do now? I was like, no, one, I can't remember her name. I can't even remember her face. But if I see her, I probably will just go in front of her and tell her, did you get educated in maternal mental health? Because I know she wasn't back there because I'm really sure she would have completely acted in a different way and responded to me differently. So that's why I became such a big advocate. And I want to, to just share the knowledge and the awareness with others so that what happened to me never happens to anyone else because they are resources. But what happens is that we don't know about them.
0: I think, thinking of that lady in an outside perspective and knowing what it's like when you're in the moment, when someone's done you wrong and the hurt that it causes you and the pain that resonates. Tony Robbins says you, we got to thank those people because without Mm -hmm. that, with the the beautiful things you're doing now that stirred the fire in you to help thousands of women. So hopefully you can come around and be like, thanks bitch for what (laughs) you do to me. I can help lots of women
2: you know yes
0: it, 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 no yeah absolutely I have
2: child turned child child that child corner yeah yes. thank you well okay
1: knowing that I'm I'm shocked by the fact that it's just three hospitals that have proper maternal mental health um, programs and stuff like this what would you say to any moms who may be experiencing this and how they could best advocate for themselves and uh, if, should well, they be well, still of saying what's going on in their head like should they still hold back some of these thoughts like what is the process you think women should go through you know keeping in mind that we have listeners that are outside of the San Diego area mm-hmm. um what what are some mm-hmm. steps you think that that they should think about
2: i think my number one is don't be scared to just begin sharing with a friend somebody you trust because that's the biggest point and i'll give you a lot more for everyone who's listening to anywhere and this they can begin to step at anywhere they are in the world but the first thing is to find someone that you feel you can trust it may be a friend it may be you know a family member but begin to talk about it because there's a lot of shame and judgment yeah. and guilt so that's why all these cases fall through the cracks. And I only know just to piggyback on what you said about the three hospitals, those are only the ones I know. Maybe there's more, but I did call a bunch and they at the moment in 2017, they didn't have it. Maybe they have programs now. But for somebody who's like, okay, I, I'm having these thoughts or I'm starting to feel really sad or I don't want to let go of the baby. I just want to be with the baby all day. I don't want to go out with my friends. You know, I want to be isolated. It's just to find someone you trust that you can begin to talk to them about it. So now let's say a person did speak with somebody. Okay. So they say, oh, they expressed they spoke with somebody. One of the best, the ideal thing would be to be like, I am suffering and I need help to literally ask for help would be the ideal. Knowing that, you know, I know I'm not a bad mother. My hormones are still balancing. I just had a baby and I need help. That would be the ideal. And then, you know, what is the next step? Okay, therapy. I would say, depending on the severity of the situation, if you're having hallucinations, it's maybe it's something completely, therapy is not, going to help you immediately. Like sometimes if you're not sleeping, uh, anybody who has uh, the sleep deprived, but I know new parents, we're all sleep deprived. We have newborns and we're gonna be sleep deprived. However, we need to look at these points, having flashbacks or nightmares. And that, so insomnia, flashbacks and nightmares, those are not part necessarily of the sleep deprived parent. That is snowballing into something else so getting help getting some help if you say you know what i i think i may suffer from something but i'm not so sure or i don't want to go out and get a therapist see what support groups are online so postpartum support international uh postpartum.net i believe is their website they are international but you can they have different um you know, in different places around the world, they have support groups that you can attend in person. However, online, you can take on many, many of their support groups, attend any and all of their support groups in English and Spanish. They have them in other languages as well. And if you're experiencing, you know, I'm feeling really depressed. I'm just feeling not like myself. This is something that I've been hearing lately a lot. I don't feel like myself. Something it it took a turn. Something is not right. Okay are you open to talking to somebody because i you know i'm not a therapist Uh, i am here somebody to support you and listen and hold that space but if you're open i can help you find somebody maybe okay not i'm not gonna go and try to get that particular um therapist for them but i can give them Resource resource like postpartum support international where they can call and they can find them a therapist in their region they can connect them with somebody let's say here in San Diego with postpartum health alliance and They we can find them a therapist if they give us their insurance and if they don't have insurance We can still find them a therapist. So that would be like the next ideal step. Let's go really crazy Let's just play a really crazy scenario so let's say somebody had a baby they start not to feeling great and they begin to you know they're very tired and they begin to have conversations with somebody who's not there right and they're like my wife's starting to talk to herself you know it's like she's talking to herself and first everybody kind of laughs and because she's hiding it she also kind of laughs about it right like oh yeah there's nothing there i'm just you know i'm talking out loud that's a, a very common one i'm just speaking out loud <laughs> And it evolves and evolves and evolves and evolves. And this is somebody who is maybe having uh, visual hallucinations. But because they're already having the conversation that she may be, oh, she's crazy. She's talking to herself and it's not being taken care of. That can po- possibly be a threat. Let's say somebody, a listener is like, oh, my gosh, this is my partner right now. My partner's talking to themselves. The best thing I can tell you, get them help right now go find a therapist find some uh, groups and supports and ask the questions not in a judgy way in a supportive way hey who are you talking to oh no was talking to myself okay how often do you talk to yourself i just want to make sure that you're okay not making fun nothing like that because it can be dismissed as well so it's psychosis cases should always be treated as an emergency any plan that involves suicide, infanticide, uh, planning of hurting like your baby or others needs to be treated as an emergency. However, I am not big on go lock up that mother. Absolutely not. There are very little hospitals mm-hmm. that will take perinatal during you know uh, the postpartum period or even during the pregnancy period where they could have some form of hallucination. Sometimes, mostly if they had. Psychosis or bipolar disorder previously, but it does happen. But there's one hospital in Orange County that is really good, but it's highly impacted. It's really hard to get a mama in there. And then there's another one that I know that I believe is in New Jersey, and it's absolutely fantastic. So we need more of that now in all over the United States. We need at least at least ten per state will be ideal.
1: Well, that's, because that's what telling happened- the fact mm-hmm. that that's telling the one in Orange County is impacted. Obviously, there's definitely a need.
2: There so is. that
0: organization that you're a part of now, that you're on the board, is this the goal? Is for you guys to go to these hospitals or create spaces for these women to go to for help? Is that that part of the journey and goal that you guys are working towards?
2: yes so tribe wellness collective they actually strive to make midwifery and holistic care accessible to anyone regardless of their social economics so um One of the things that they're doing right now is if anybody wants to have a home birth, they will pay 50%. If you know, we get an application, you qualify and sometimes, and they take medical as well. So they're really making holistic care in midwifery available. Why I came up on the board with them is because their vision is to have in San Diego built an inpatient only for postpartum and perinatal hospital so the same as they have in new jersey and in orange county where mothers who are experiencing these hallucinations can come with their baby and their baby is taken care of just as if they were being home, but they're being taken care of with the proper medication and the proper rest. And this is a center that we would love to build where we were gonna have in-house therapists, in-house psych- uh, psychiatrists, uh, public health nurses, some doctors, also yoga and you know, um, some uh, nutritionists, and like really cover all the bases because a lot of it when we're moving After the postpartum period and you're getting the medication, all that, we need to make sure that we're eating right, too. If we're eating in and out every day while just taking the medication, thinking, why am I not feeling any better? Look at what you're putting in your gut, right? But at times, we can't think of that, take care of ourselves, because we're so just consumed by our baby in our immediate situation that we can't think about those things. So it's just like allowing them the time and the space for them to heal and get the proper nutrition get the proper medication so that they can go home and really thrive and really you know have all the tools and support groups that they need so that they can live a successful life as new parents
0: yeah this is a this is a tough one i mean this is deeper than some of the post postpartum or the perinatal mood that i've heard of and i want to thank you for admitting these things it's they were deep and and and, and you know in our society dark right dark to have yeah. those feelings dark to have that vision of hurting something that's supposed to be the most precious in your life i i wanted to kind of just ask where do the where does the children's safety come into this like supporting the mom to still be present and helping her through all of the of the different dimensions of this, you know, perinatal mood, but also, you know, supporting the children as well so that, you know, they stay safe and mommy stays safe. Mm -hmm. Like, where's the balance with that?
2: Where do you come in? So having support at home.
0: Yeah. So uh, I always
2: Mm find absolutely, absolutely. So having support at home. So let's say Um, you know, somebody is struggling with it. And let's say they have the newborn and a four-year-old and a three-year-old as well, right? Uh, Making sure that they're going through these, um, having the symptoms of maybe obsessive compulsive disorder or simply depression. You know, you just don't want it to be around your children or you have a detachment or anything like that. Just one, not pushing mother. I would say, don't push her. Here's the baby, here's the baby. You know, you just need to carry the baby, anything like that. It, as long as baby is being loved by somebody else in that immediate moment, baby is going to be okay. We need to make sure that the mother's okay so that, you know, so that the baby can have mother full time. So they can, mom can be present with that baby. I was having this conversation not too long ago with someone who was saying, well, how, what will, how would the baby feel if mom doesn't wanna talk to, you know, to the other children, doesn't wanna talk you know be with her baby, there's gonna create more detachment. Probably a little bit, but not for too long because if you continue to push it, she's gonna continue to reject it if she's feeling she doesn't wanna be around her baby. And there's been many mothers that baby comes out and they're like, don't give me the baby immediately. Immediately, so in, it's so important for mothers to be good. Remember how we say: if you put the air in the in the airplane, you put the oxygen on you first, and then on the children. She has to be okay. As long as the grandma's there, loving on the baby. As long as she also sees that everybody else is loving on the baby, she she'll have peace that your baby is okay. So that will give her peace. In the meantime, she's healing, and maybe. This can go one of two ways. This can, she could, depending on what severe depression I'm going to use here, she may be feeling, it can be like, okay, maybe I want to start to get closer. The other thing, it could evolve if her depression is deeper, they're taking better care of my baby. Maybe, what am I here for? Right? So that's where we always have to watch mother. But baby safety and the other children's safety is super, super important. So, always having somebody else who's going to be there to take care of that cho- those children is going to be the most mm-hmm. important. Somebody who's going to love them, who's going to be there, who understands that the mother is going through something at this time, and yeah, that's the best we can do.
0: Time. It's a heavy time for the mother and you know the family to just be strong through this. It's it, you. It, it, this is another village that it takes. You know, your therapist, yeah. your doctors, yourself your family members, friends, it's, it's a lot. And I was also gonna ask along the same lines of the, of the children and you personally, if you wouldn't mind sharing, um, do you feel that this period in your life affected your relationship with your children for a little bit or do they remember anything mm. of it because they were so young? <laughs> you know, just how, how does that work? We all have a point in our lives you know when we are less present even if it's not perinatal mood it could be something else in our life like you know midlife crisis where we decide to you're kind of different you're you're not feeling the same there's there's all these different stages in life when we are not we're working on ourselves so how do you do you how do you know if your children have ever said anything or do you feel anything that's you know from then that has impacted them
2: from this experience? Thank you for asking that. It actually makes me, it warms my heart that you asked that because it's something that I've been working more. So I'm gonna share it with you, I know it's the real motherfucker, so we can get really real here. Actually, I haven't shared it in a long time. So, uh, well, one thing that I will say prior to that, that you just make me poop. it trigger a memory, is uh, with my first son, when uh i block i bear, right now is the memories are coming back because i'm writing my postpartum story but from pretty much birth to kinder i have no recollection uh i know i i can see myself in the pictures i know i was there people talk about me Do you know the pic-? like i see a picture and i was like oh i kind of remember that you know that mm. um that's with my first son that i had the ocd and all that and then uh because i just blocked everything and with him i had i never had right at the beginning that overwhelming feeling of just being so in love with this baby you know what everybody talks about you're gonna have a baby you're gonna be so in love with your baby like you like no other love i had no idea what people were talking about i had that with my second son because nobody wanted him really everybody when i got pregnant with my second son they're like your marriage was in shambles How could you get pregnant? So Mm -hmm. I felt I needed to, I needed to want my baby. And when he was born, I was over the moon and just like, oh my God. And then, you know, my ex-husband said, have an abortion. Like nobody wants this baby. So I need to love this baby so much more. And the pregnancy with him was horrid. I ended up in the ER many times. So with my first son, it wasn't until he was 14. I don't know where, I don't know. Suddenly, like I knew I loved my son. You know, I knew I loved my son with all my heart. But one day he was 14. Suddenly I look at him and I felt that overwhelming love. Like I see him now and I just want to hold him all day. Like I want to, you know, he's like one. I want to shrink him and hold him in my arms. And, and I tell him so much how much I love him. So with him. And when I was going through the whole, I'm gonna go back a little bit to, this is like 2004. I was going through still the severe postpartum, actually almost 2005 by now. And my ex-husband, he was from Nebraska. He still is from Nebraska, but uh, he lived in Nebraska. And there was a time where I was trying to get back on my feet. I was literally sleeping on the floor at my aunt's home because I had no place to live. And I had a job and I was like, who's I can't afford daycare for this baby? And my ex husband said, Why don't you take him to Nebraska for my mom to take care of him? And it's for some reason that makes sense to me <laughs> to I literally took a one, you know, round trip same day, land, drop off baby. I didn't even she came to the airport. I gave him my mom went with me because she I need to have this conversation with her because I don't know if I'm still disowned by what I did because she did not approve that I was doing that, but also she couldn't help me. And um, I literally handed the baby to my mother-in-law at the time and got on the plane and flew back to San Diego. And I think I picked him up about a month later. And that's one of the biggest things that till this day I'm trying to heal because I feel like I fail him tremendously. Like I went and gave him to somebody else. And throughout that whole period, there was a moment where I moved to Mexico with my children, and I was working back and forth. And he was, in, and he went and stayed with my sister while he finished up the school year. Like it was the little kinder Montessori, little kinder school. But she's like, "Don't pull him out, leave him here." And for me, it was like easy. Okay, sure, I'll leave him. Like I'm leaving a bag. You know? Come and pick it up tomorrow. And that is really hard because that's something that I'm healing now. That is coming up, and it. How could I, in my right mind, knowing what I know now, do that? What type of mother just says, mm-hmm. you know, instead of figuring it out, no, 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 I can't be away from my baby. First, I couldn't be away from him in the first early months, yeah. right? That first year. And suddenly, mm-hmm. I was so disconnected and disassociated from everything that I was okay with flying to nebraska to drop off my child and then leaving him in mexico even though it was with my sister even though i was gonna see him over the weekend easily you know and it was just it was just so that particular part was so hard and with them uh, i have a really good connection i'm really we're really close my 19 year old and i well with both of them i'm really really close um but they know what i do they know what i've been through they know it through uh, a certain success success i'm sorry. to a certain extent but uh how they affected them i don't know i am someone who talks to them all the time they know what i do uh i i have had conversations about you know what i talk about and what my feelings were and um that i don't have those feelings that i love them both beyond you know expression. Um, but I don't roam so I can't really answer what what that was. and if anybody is listening and thinking that I'm screwing up my kid or I probably screw up or you know my kid, uh, I don't I don't know. I don't I like to think that I haven't because one of the things that we can do is talk to them and be open and honest and most important, vulnerable yes. with them. To be vulnerable yeah. so they've seen me cry they've seen me have a panic attack um you know they they've seen me just you know kind of be really sad um we we talked about watching um there's some great documentaries out there and i've talked to them about watching some together so they can see kind of what mom went through um but i don't keep them in the dark i never ever i was just talking to a friend i'm like i never ever want my children to hear something that I could have told them, but hear it from somebody else. I just could not, Right. I just know. They have two half siblings from the, his, their biological father. And I, you know, somebody was saying, why would they need to know? And I said, oh, absolutely. I'm gonna tell them and I'm gonna keep them in the loop because if suddenly years later they come and they're like, mom, we have sisters, like, why do you need to? I never want that. I never wanna hide anything from them uh, in any way. So I think keeping that, honest and open conversation um, is the best. And I constantly tell them, if you ever have questions, ask me. So I think they feel comfortable enough to come to me if something's going on. I'm always checking in, how are you feeling? What's going on? They're very different. Um, And it may have definitely probably impacted them in one way or another. I'm just crossing my fingers that I, I didn't screw them up too bad and that they're able to get the help if that's what they need.
1: Well in our next generation parenting episode we all concluded that we're all fucking up our kids a little bit. So yeah, that's okay.
2: <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's yeah. true. That's I, I, true.
1: I appreciate your vulnerability and I think that I just thinking about your story I'm thinking gosh like I'm sure does it feel like when that happened were you still going through mental illness through that time? Or you know, I mm. I it, I dealt with postpartum depression and I still deal with depression and anxiety today. And I also don't hide what's happening with me, with my kids because it's very apparent that I'm gone. And so Mm -hmm. I just tell them I'm gone for a little bit because something's happening with me. Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I feel like I, I feel deeply with what you're going through or what you went through, because I can't look back and like, hold this guilt forever because mm-hmm. i can't move forward and i can't be a better mom for feeling guilty for the past so thank you for sharing yeah.
0: that
2: mm-hmm. thank you
0: yeah, for I holding think, the space you, know, you knowing you both and knowing who you are and knowing how open you are i think if your children did feel a pain or felt like they weren't you know that love or whatever it is you know how we we all have a moment with our own parents where are like they didn't love us then or You know, Mm. I did something wrong kind of thing. I see how lucky your children are that you would open the door to say, let's go to therapy together, having the real conversations that you would have an honest ones with your children about it, and also Mm. providing any tools necessary for them to heal with you. And I know you both, you're both on a big healing journey in life. Um, DE people go to you to heal. And I know Steph, you do so many things to heal as well. You're mm-hmm. constantly, you know, looking up, looking forward and, and it's a constant maintenance. Um, so I applaud you both for being in such a, you know, mm-hmm. a, 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 metaphorically and, and just an illustration, you know, this deep, dark hole that you're. it's muddy and you're trying to just climb out. And every time you try to climb out, the mud caves in and the mud caves in and you mm-hmm. can't get out. That's what I vision envision when you guys talk about this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I feel when you guys express and tell me these things so raw, it makes me feel so heavy to hear it, but also mm-hmm. so inspired that there's people out mm-hmm. there that love and can help you through this and your own will to have still go through this.
1: I think that there's so, sort of like a depiction that some people have of like, the crazy mom archetype, you know? Mm-hmm uh Mm -hmm. and and it's very dismissive of the fact that this does Mm -hmm. happen to many mothers um you know just thinking about when i tried to get help for the post my postpartum depression the doctor he was like did you ever think about like doing less and i'm like dude that's not what i wanted to hear and that just feels very dismissive and feels like I, I I was seeking actual help, you know, and it's either like a just shoo them away or kind of laugh at their hysteria, you know, and I feel like that there needs to be some work on how to paint mothers who are struggling.
0: Deep. Yeah. I got it. I had something came to me. I always like to meditate oh. or just kind of bring in before I do my yeah. episodes with my the guests the day before I kind of just. about the questions we're going to ask and just maybe research things or you know i just feel the whole experience before and interesting enough and i texted steph this morning i said last night when i was laying there i said i thought of the legend la llorona and i said Mm. the reason i thought of her is i think her legend is misrepresented i said what if she Mm -hmm. was really a woman that had perinatal mood and because Mm -hmm. in the story after she drowns her children she's searching for them she didn't know she did it and it's also the the story also adds adds a layer that she did it because of a man but it's really was it because of the Mm -hmm. man or did she have you know perinatal mood and that just tossed her over the edge that story reminds me of this in a way Mm -hmm. like for some reason she came to me the hurt, you know, and who knows where that story originated. You know what I mean? You know, we never know the origins of it, but it's, it's like, if someone would have known these things, if this has a ounce of truth, could it have been that you never know? You know what I mean? But for some reason, you know, in our culture, they use her to hate her because she drowned her children. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. no one wants to hurt children, but at the same time, it's like, this woman needed help this woman needed help and and nobody hurt her they they added all the layers of what could, could have been and it wasn't what it was I I wasn't familiar with this story
1: until I read about it and I was like gosh she was used as like a like the monster scary lady that you're afraid of at night and I'm like mm-hmm. gosh that that poor yeah. mom was suffering
0: so I mean what are your thoughts on that it was, is. If for some reason she came to me and I was like I don't want to bring this out as disrespectful but you know, it's just. Oh no. She came to me like, you know, it's possible, like this. Changing the tale, the,
1: the
2: the myth or the oh, tale yeah. of it. it it is. It is. I agree, one hundred eleven percent. I agree because, and it is. It, it was turned into that. And when you said the man, it was because of a man. Who knows if that man was a doctor who said, you know, have you tried to do less or get more sleep? right we don't know it doesn't have to be necessarily the man the partner we know who that man you know necessarily represent it was represented at the convenience of the story but what she was really going through it it was probably a psychotic episode because after she's looking for them it's like what did i do and we just not too long ago we yeah we had that case in boston i just her name escapes me right now um, but this beautiful woman, she was, um, uh, labor and delivery nurse and she, um, committed, attempted to commit suicide after, uh, taking the lives of her three children. And, uh, it, you know, now this woman who is, I think she was, I've been trying to follow her story and apparently not doing a really good job at it, but she was being sentenced now in May. But what is going to happen with this woman who went to the who work in the they medicated her? Um, I think, in my opinion, and this is just these personal opinion, personal personal opinion, Mm -hmm. I think they over medicated her. I think they completely over medicated her. Uh, She was on tons of antibiotics, and she they were told to not leave her alone at all ever. And um, her husband went out for like ten minutes to get like her favorite food or drink and within that time she had she did everything so uh this woman now is you know they're probably going to put her in jail i don't know if it will be you know homicide by insanity or something like that but basically her life it's over and now that she's probably in the right medication she's understanding what she did and she has to live with that so every time and even my husband now so just quick update I remarried <laughs> and have a wonderful husband. So he told me he's like I was not familiar because we met in 2007 and he's I was still going in in everything. My last son the youngest was born in 2006. So I was just one year postpartum. So he knew everything. When I met him like it was maybe the second date I put all my cards on the table. I was like I'm taking medication like all my things and he's like i was in front of you it was like and part of me wanted to run away but other parts wanted to stay and he's become a lot more he's a big advocate like i am he's a big supporter but he's like i used to he told me one time i used to hear those stories of a mother who killed their children and he's like i always thought what kind of mother would do that what kind of mother will just you know kill her children do things like that which is the thought that most people have And it's like now when I hear that that happened, it's like the first thought that comes into my mind how was she suffering? What was she suffering from? And that's what I hope everyone can think when a mother, early as that, of course, there are other mental illnesses that can draw somebody to commit such a uh, a tragedy. But it's always good to not judge right away, to pause and be like, wow, what, you know, she was just, you know, two months postpartum and she was everybody saying that she was a wonderful mother to her other children and then this happened. Like let's just pause and not judge them right away. Um, but we have lost several mothers this year uh due to that. So La Llorona, I'm thinking she definitely had some psychosis going on, and that's what happened there. And then she felt tremendously guilty and she roams the world. Um, looking for her children because it's it's devastating absolutely devastating yeah
0: Yeah, it's it's and you know what like me coming from for me not having those symptoms and you know before being even on this podcast you know seeing a news article like that with the woman killing her kids I'm going to raise my hand and be like how could that fucking bitch do that to her kids and like being like, she's going to get what she fucking deserves, you know? And Mm -hmm. aside from this, there is evil out there that, you know, things happen, but Mm -hmm. it is sad that more than likely it's, this is the root. This is the root of them doing those Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. because, you know, we are this embracing love, you know, that's eternal. And it, 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 it's not something that that's the role that we, we want to play. We had a, um, an author Susie last time, uh, this last podcast that we just recorded. And she said, you know, they depict that everyone likes to depict us as goddesses and being strong and graceful and ever embracing. And it's like, sometimes that's not it, you know, maybe we're more mm-hmm. like a warrior and you know, that two sides to that warrior, but it's, It's like a taboo thing to say if you don't understand this illness. And if that's what a mother did, Mm -hmm. she did act out and wasn't supported to support the mom. I'll just say that right Mm -hmm. now. It's a taboo thing to support Mm -hmm. the mom in our society. If she does that to her children, Mm -hmm. you know, regardless of anything else, it like it hurts people Mm -hmm. when children are involved, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Mm -hmm. when children are involved in anything, it hurts us all you know what i mean and it hurts yeah. us when women are involved too in our culture so you have a yeah. double whammy here with a mom hurting yes. her children and a mom hurting herself so it is not easy to accept those two facts it hurts us yeah. a lot so
2: it's yeah. this is a heavy thing and you know so. it is and a lot of women suffer alone suffer alone and suffer in mm-hmm. silence and hide it really well even though I was already in therapy and everything, and after my experience with the ER where they locked me up and I regressed, um, so I used to be in the fashion industry and dress funky and all the things. Uh, I am the yoga instructor who rarely wears yoga pants, <laughs> you know, the actual leggings. I'm always in something else. But I used to wear these, these gloves that would go just my forearms. I used to wear them for, like, a long time and things like that. And then after me regressing, uh, I would get so much anxiety and just like cringe that I would scratch my forearms bloody. And I would put those gloves yeah. on and go through my day. And no one knew. Yeah. And because there's a lot of mm-hmm. suffering and silence, which is very important. And something right. that I would like your your um listeners to know is like, okay, we're talking about all this postpartum depression scary things you know anxiety uh you know bipolar disorder which bipolar disorder is more likely to be developed 50 percent more likely to be developed in uh during the postpartum period than that of the regular population so it's more likely you can develop bipolar disorder during the postpartum period than anyone and anybody else so with Mm -hmm. the risk factor so it's like okay d how do i get this like am i at risk and one of the things i always tell uh people that I when I do these presentations in workshops I'm like first of all this is not to scare anyone I know it sounds scary and same this podcast is not to scare anyone it's just awareness because we don't know what we don't know mm-hmm. so how yeah. can this happen to me so we have three types of risk factors associated biological psychological and social and i'm just going to tap in a little bit of each so they know It doesn't mean that you are under a risk factor that is necessarily going to happen to you. So biological, having previously have PMATs, right? Experiencing perineal mood anxiety disorder, having mental health um, issues in your family, or you experiencing depression, anxiety, or any other um, mood disorder. Um, Having, what else is a biological? I'm going to stop with those because it's escaping me. Uh, And then psychological, being a young mother, you know, or unwanted pregnancy, uh, having not a great relationship with your own mother, having a baby in the queue, um, having low self-esteem, having uh, an abortion or a miscarriage. um, And then social uh, is being isolated. So, you know, geographically isolation so being in san diego and uh, i saw like other military towns here there's we have a lot of moms that don't have any family around and it doesn't have to always be family you know military you can just move somewhere else and having that that there's no support around you that is huge Um, financial stress relationship stress uh, having you know suddenly somebody passed away moving uh having a fussy baby uh the uh find did i mention financial stress maybe i repeated it but financial stress mm-hmm. that's that's like a really big one so uh those are some of the risk factors associated with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders so if you are highly stressed let's say a relationship stress your relationship is not the best and you're going through a pregnancy and then you're like how am i going to do it alone i don't have enough money you know, I just moved, maybe I need to move back home with my parents, like, are they even gonna want me? I'm pregnant. Like, you see where the story goes. So that is a risk factor for experiencing a mood disorder.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You went through a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I missed yeah, a lot, missed lot of them. I <laughs> <of laughs> just like, <Yeah. laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, this so is very informative. A, a, yes i hope it's helpful for especially for your listeners to know that they're not alone because the worst thing is to feel so alone you know and i think for me when i begin to get into the support groups um with one particular support group that i really made me see know that i was not crazy and that i was not going through this alone and that other mothers were having Mm -hmm similar experiences, maybe not as severe as mine, and really normalizing it. And like you mentioned earlier, Vanessa, about being taboo, it is extremely stigmatized and um, we need to pay more attention to our mothers. Um, the United States has the highest mortality rate, maternal mortality, um, than pretty much anywhere else. And it begins there on how we're treating our mothers when they're pregnant, because it can really develop into something else having uh, traumatic births. And we're seeing a lot of traumatic births in the recent studies. So um, just knowing that to give that mother that you know some space and giving your, uh, you know, just talking, reaching out, holding space for them and just saying, how are you? Okay, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine, I'm doing okay. Okay, just know that I'm here if you ever wanna chat or vent or anything planting the seed we don't mm-hmm. have to push we don't have to put like here are resources because you're seeing something I know she's going through something I know through something I know don't push just plant seeds Hey, well I'm here if you ever want to chat I am here and they will reach out well we can hope that they do reach out but if you don't push yeah. there's the more than likely they will feel comfortable enough that you're not trying to shove anything down their throat and they feel a little bit more relaxed into maybe i'll just reach out to vanessa or stephanie and just just to have a chat and then from there you can you know grow the conversation you know and really being relatable is is big and another thing that i want to say even though like you said vanessa i didn't experience any of that it's wonderful right it's it's so so good um it it's okay, not everybody is going to experience it. It doesn't mean and it doesn't mean like, wow, I didn't experience it. So I can relate to that woman. Okay, not in that capacity, but you can hold space for for that woman, for that birthing parent. Absolutely. You can really just hold this space up. And just being really honest, like I don't know how that feels or what you're going through, but I'm just here for you. Just tell me, you know, I, I can yes. just be here and, and I can just be an ear and listen. And that is it. And that is it. Yes.
0: Yes. And I also think, like some of our other listen um, guests that have had some traumatic things happen to them, I think once they say someone does admit, I need help. And if they maybe you are that friend they're talking to, asking permission, can I help you make that phone call if you're ready? Can I help you if you're ready? I mean, whatever you need, or can I give you that information? Just kind of helping them with the steps. I don't want to be that person that oversteps my boundaries. And I think every friendship Mm -hmm. and every woman's different, but just my point is they were saying, don't ask, just do. And I know this is a really sensitive, you know, subject and um, feeling to, to, to have experienced. So it's like, it's like, you know, walking on eggshells a little bit. You know as a friend and yeah. as a person trying to help it's not like you said not being too yeah. pushy but also being that wall or hand that you can touch so i don't know like for me like i know like i tell yes. stephanie all the time i'm like damn why couldn't i have known you you know i was like i even, <laughs> even holding her daughter like i was like i would have that for you yeah. you know it's like any of those steps that you said of support that I think once you know a friend and you're they're that open to you you'll know what your personal boundaries are Mm -hmm. but to you know be available for them and 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 you know we'll be sharing these resources and you'll be providing some more for us but i also want to offer and you know people who don't have a voice to dm us you know on our instagram or anything so we can help them with resources or not feel alone or you know, if you're open to it, the same, you know, just saying, inviting yeah, these people absolutely. to a resource or just hearing them, hearing them. So, you know, absolutely. if I can do that for the world, that's the whole purpose of this podcast. Do we
2: absolutely. appreciate and your one thing vulnerability. That oh, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, I was just Thank saying. Thank you. I just
2: Go wanted ahead. to Go say ahead. one thing. One thing. Sorry, so sorry to interrupt because you said something very important, Vanessa, on the don't push. And I'm saying like, don't push the mother and this and that, but let's say you are talking to a friend and she is, you know, now that you're like, okay, I have that podcast with D. She mentioned all these things. My friend is kind of having some symptoms that are more severe. We can just leave it like, I'm not going to try to push him when you know there's something really Hard going on here, that's when you can go to a family member, whoever's with her with that mm-hmm. particular mama or that birthing parent and be like, like, you know, your friend, I think you're going through a psychotic ex, you know, episode. Uh, but you can talk it's like, have you noticed anything different on her? And they may be like, yeah, she's been acting strange. You know what? I was talking to somebody and they had mentioned these symptoms. Why don't you try to talk to her and maybe or here are some resources reach out for help because i think this may be something else it may be evolving or keep an extra eye on her ask more questions so that's the action that you can take and of course if a friend says yes call my you know call a therapist with me for or for me of course but in some situations we need to intervene yeah yeah
0: that that was my question because i'm like what if the partner is is the military guy and he's not there or Mm -hmm. you know mom and dad aren't around and you are the only soundboard will you be the one that acts i mean and it is for her and it is for Mm -hmm. the the family you know it's it's a hard (laughs) it's it's a gray area you know it really is to a certain to a certain point i don't i'm just putting myself in the place of it and i'm like what would i do you know
2: i think think well there you can pull down this conversation is is Oh, sorry. Uh, There you can call them. But I believe it's the ombudsman, like the military. There's always, when they're on deployment, let's say the the dad is on deployment, the mom is alone Mm -hmm. with the baby. They have no family around. There's nobody. You don't know their friends, her other friends Uh or anything. But you can reach out to... The, you're like okay he's in the military he's in the navy or in the marines wherever i can reach out to the marines my friend is a marine wife she's going through something has no support and then they reach out to somebody They're usually, when they're on deployment, there's usually like, I think it's the ombudsman, something like that, that is like the mother for everyone. So if you need any help, they'll find you the resources and somebody to check on that particular, you know, so they're not ever really alone. They have, especially through the military, there is like a, it's not necessarily a chain of command, but there is somebody that you can kind of lean into you can give them information of you know your friend and the person who's and that's another way of getting them help so i always say there's always a way there's always 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 a way yes and the last resort it'll be call the cops that would be like don't call the cops on a mother try to find some help and resources you know if unless she you see her that she's about to hurt herself or hurt her baby then you may have to call 911 but that's like for me, I'm like that's last resort because you can really regress that mother if she was so doing, was so already doing some improvements in her life.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, well that was that was you were very informative. Yes,
1: woman. thank you gosh. You, so much. you have <laughs> you have shared with us a lot of information that we don't we did not realize. I'm assuming a lot of our listeners haven't realized either. I think it's important that we we're having this conversation. I'm I mean like the fact that we are even having this conversation sheds light on that. This is an issue Um, and it could share or it could help uh, the village, the community, keep a better Mm -hmm. eye on these on mothers who may be struggling. So thank you for your vulnerability, your
0: honesty, Mm -hmm. your authenticity. We love speaking to you, Dee. I know. Can we ask her the questions real quick? Yeah. So we ask, you know, you're a listener, we're going to ask you the three questions. So, um, what's one thing <laughs> in your purse? Uh, and what does it say
2: about you? Name one thing in your oh, purse and what it says about I, you. <laughs> I always have chapstick, stick, chapstick, chapstick. I'm always trying to put chapstick on people. You have chapstick, uh, chapstick. Um, <laughs> I for me is. <laughs> And always somebody needs chapstick. Usually, as my youngest. Mom, do you have chapstick? He knows I always have chapstick. Um, I think it's comfort for me. I just it's. I think it just says that I I am a cozy person. I'm a comfortable person, and I want to have soft lips. Person, or my lips are always cracked. Uh, so chapstick is something that is always in my purse. And sometimes I'll have several chapsticks because somebody will need a chapstick.
0: Same.
1: That's so funny. When I've been asked what's the three things you would bring with you on a deserted island. One
0: of them's always chapstick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's such a it, thinking about this <laughs> chapstick makes you so present. Oh, that's true. You know, and we're working Ooh. on that and I, I know you guys, it makes so present. You can smell it, you can feel it, you're focusing yes. on it, you know? If you're a kid, eat it. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Even if
0: you're an adult, you might yes. it.
2: Yes, I get it. I love my chapstick. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, what inspires you or who?
2: Mm, what inspires me? The world inspires me. Everything around me inspires me um, to do better. Um, definitely my own story inspires me to learn more, to get educated so I can do it that for others. My children inspire me. Uh, for me it's my biggest success is my children. And a lot of people are like, Well, everybody says they're children. I'm like, you don't understand. Made it. We're here. They have a yeah. what I like to think a healthy mother. Um and but I think a changing world really inspires me. Inspires me to because you know, what we know is for sure is change. And I it inspires me to know that through that change, I can find ways to serve better. So to adapt and to become, to be part of the environment, you know, uh, in, in in a meaningful matter, in a very conscious way, to be able to support others through their own change and meet people where they are at and not where I am at. Uh, so I think that really mm-hmm. I get excited. I know we're not always supposed to think about the future. you know we have to be here in the present, try to be as much as I can. But sometimes I like to think of like, wow, what is coming? I'm gonna let it come, but wow, I would love it if it can look this way. If I can have you know uh, an in- 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 um, inpatient hospital at least one per state, but how would it look if I have ten- we have 10 per state and it's growing and it's all over the world. So things like that I get inspired by by life and um, to take care of all the needs that are out there to with maternal mental health.
0: That's a beautiful answer. And I, you know what makes my heart melt and almost emotional for you? The future for you is hope. Mm-hmm. And it works so hard Aww. for you to put that in mm-hmm. your heart. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yes, no, thank Love you, that. thank you, I feel it. and yeah, um, felt- <laughs> And you ladies inspire me. Both of you inspire me so much that you're doing this, that you're talking about the real things. We're not sugarcoating it. We come here raw. We can talk about the the fun yep. subjects, also the stigmatized subjects, the interesting subjects, the educational subjects, but you both show up. And that's why I've been listening to all your episodes. I, I need to finish the last one. <laughs> uh, but I'm listening to all your episodes. I'm like, yes, they're doing the thing. They're They're starting the conversation. So thank you, because both of you inspire me tremendously. I'm like, that's why you keep me listening each week. <laughs> thank you, Dee. Thank you so much. We we appreciate you being here. And
0: I don't think this will be your only visit on the podcast. Yes, I have. I, have, <sighs> I see you, you on the future of our podcast, too. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so thank you I'll so much honored. for being on. And if there's anything else, yeah, if there's anything else we can do to help this cause, we would be more than, you know, mm. We we'll always have an open door.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank, Thank you, you so Dee. much, and we we'll salute you. Cheers. Thank you so
2: much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. 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 Bye. Bye. Cheers.
0: <laughs>